0: I'd like to pause and just give God praise for what he's doing through the Wednesday night ministry here among the youth. Josh and Taylor Borth working with the youth every Wednesday and we've got a good crop of youth coming. And it's wonderful to see three or four of them right here this morning on the front row. Yes. And then what the Lord is doing with our children's ministry through the work of Pastor Boyle and Helen. It's it's wonderful. I mean for so long this is these are some things we were praying for. We were asking God to raise up ministries of this nature. And as most, if not all of us know, the key to these ministries are those who are willing to lead. And so Lord, the Lord brings the leaders and there's the ministry. And it's good just to be able to pause and think of where we were a few years ago and where God's brought us and then... And then even if you can stand it to think of what he's got in store for us in the next in the next days, months, years, who knows? We don't know. But as long as we're here, we'll continue to minister in this way. And we appreciate God's goodness and God's faithfulness in these endeavors. So when you think about think about the youth and think about the children's ministry, continue to pray that those ministries will flourish we're in John chapter 16 oh and one more thing there's always one more thing on the 29th of this month there is a church dinner lest that escape our notice and attention so we want to uh, we want to make sure everybody knows about that dinner so that you can be here and uh, you, you don't have to bring a, a dish, a dessert aside. You don't have to, but a lot of folks like to do that. So there's a sign-up sheet out here on the table. If you'd like to bring something, just sign your name there and jot down what you're going to bring. If you don't know what you're going to bring, just put a question mark. We'll all be surprised. It'll be great. But we're looking forward to that that dinner we enjoy the fellowship we enjoy being together and what what could be better than around a meal john's gospel chapter 16 words of jesus all the words of jesus are powerful they're informative Uh, They not only inform, but inspire us. I mean, those words of Jesus, having said that, these words of Jesus are especially noteworthy because of the timing of these words and the timing of this teaching. This is the farewell discourse. These are the last words of Jesus. He will be. He will be crucified the very next day. I mean, last words. I mean, our ears perk up. Even if, if it's from a human, what were, what were his last words? What were her last words on earth? What were they? We're interested Well, we're infinitely more interested in Jesus' last words. These are his last words of instructions to his disciples, that small group. He's not with the public and the masses anymore. He is with the small group. And he is instructing them, and his words have great bearing on us today. I want to say something. Listen very carefully. Years ago, 1800s, 1900s, there was, a, there was a group, I think it started over in Germany. And they had a, what they called the quest for the historical Jesus. Well, it turned out that they just simply diminished the ministry of Jesus. They diminished Jesus. That's what they did. And in their quest for the historical Jesus, they left the biblical Jesus. They completely abandoned the biblical Jesus of the Bible. Let it not be true of us that we diminish the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Jesus is talking to us about the third person of the Trinity. We would do well to hear and to receive his words. That we would not diminish the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would not just give him mere lip service, but that we would hear and heed the words of Christ. Tremendous comfort found here. We'll read verses 1 through 12. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, that is the Helper, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are recipients of the words of Jesus, the one we revere, the one we praise, the one we worship, the one whom we trust. Thank you for his words. Now, Lord, let us open our hearts and minds to receive the truth that is before us. Let us be built up in you. Let us grow in our spiritual sensitivities concerning Christ and his teaching concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, We give you praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the blessing be unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here in verse 5, and if you can, just follow along here. uh, Jesus says, but now I am going to him who sent me. So, if you go back to chapter 13, right there at the beginning... Jesus is at the feast of the Passover, and the Bible says, and this is John's writing. He's inspired or moved of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, this is verse 1. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. And then if you go down to verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. That's the plan. There was nothing that took Jesus by surprise regarding the hostility from the Jews and his impending death. This is the purpose, or this is the reason Jesus came to earth. And Jesus is not caught off guard by the events that are taking place. He knew that he had come from heaven to earth. He knew that he was going back from earth to heaven. And that's what we're reading here in verse 5. Jesus says again, a lot of this is repetition. But now I am going to him who sent me. That reference is that he's going back to heaven. He's going back to the Father. Now, we know that this caused great consternation on the part of the disciples. They've been following him for three years. And they have given up things and left things behind. And now he's talking about his departure. He's leaving. What's that going to do to the group? You know, small group dynamic. One person is added, it changes. One person is taken away, it changes. What's this going to look like? And Jesus gives a, a mild rebuke. He says, None of you asked me, where, where are you going? Well, Peter asked him that back in chapter 13. He said, where, You know, King James, whither thou goest? And the truth is, that question asked by Peter had to do with Peter and his friends. It was all centered, it's like this You're leaving. What about us? Jesus is asking the question and saying, none of you asked me, where are you going? In other words, what about me? Jesus is saying, what about me? Where I'm going? None of you care about where I'm going. You can, you're concerned about your thing and your deal. And nobody's asking me about where I'm going and what's going to happen. A mild rebuke there. He says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So these guys are sorrowful. I mean, they are, they're very discouraged, despondent. They don't know where to turn. And then once again, Jesus is trying to lift them up. And how does he lift them up? He's telling them the truth. He's talking to them about what will take place when he leaves. They need assurance. They need reassurance. They need help. And these words have to sink in. Jesus wants these words to sink into their heart. And and these words should sink into us because, you know, unlike those disciples, you and I have never seen Jesus. But though we've not seen him, as Peter says, we love him. And we, and we look forward to every expression of a testimony that we can give to our loving Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us, shedding his blood, so that we could receive forgiveness of sin. He says sorrow has filled your heart. Anybody felt sorrow in their heart lately? I'm aware of the fact that some struggle with sorrow. There's a legitimate sorrow. I think, I think a legitimate sorrow or a godly sorrow is to be sorrowful, sorrowful for our own sin. We sin, it breaks our heart. We sin against God and we go to Him and we receive, we confess and we receive forgiveness. I think that there's a sorrow that, that is in our heart when we see our world in the shape that it's in the the downward spiral of sin and what's next but i think the sorrow that is that is even more poignant in our lives is that is that ache in our heart to see face to face the one who died for us, the one who was buried for us, the one who rose for us, the one who's made all these everlasting promises to us. There's an ache, there's a sorrow to see him, to see him face to face. And so Jesus goes on and he unfolds this truth. He says, but I tell you the truth, Now, when Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, he's always telling the truth, right? He always tells the truth. But he doubles down on the truth. You need to know this. I'm telling you the truth. You've heard what I said. That's true. I'm telling you the truth. You need to listen here. Listen here. Keep in mind, he's talking to discouraged disciples. And and listen, I don't know that any one of us in this room are beyond discouragement. It happens. We get discouraged. That thing happened. This thing happened. This happened. That happened. And we we get discouraged. Let's just be real about it. So take these words as encouragement. Embrace these words. Embrace the truth of what Christ is relating to us. He says, but I tell you the truth. And that that conjunction there... um, If we had time, I'd ask one of our gentlemen, young men on this front row to to, uh, tell me what a conjunction is. They know it. That word right there, but, but. In fact, there's three of them in a row there in verse five. I just noticed that six, seven. That is a conjunction that just, you know, he's saying you're this way. You're trying to hold on to something that you can't hold on to, but I've got, there's more to the story. Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you something. There's a strong uh, break here. You're this way and you're thinking this way and you have sorrow in your heart, but he's going to tell them something that's going to take care of that sorrow. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Well, who in the world who where who came up with that? It's to your advantage that I go away? I mean it's better I mean what he's saying to them is it's better for it's it's better for you that I leave. what? <laughs> How could that be? I mean Jesus is the miracle worker. Jesus uh, feeds the masses. Jesus heals, Blind eyes, Jesus takes care of everything. Jesus speaks and the storm is still. And, and, and Jesus can even sleep on a boat during a, a storm. Jesus, is, I mean, he raises the dead. How could it be better for us that he go away? And in our case, what would that sound like? How could it be better for us that he's not here at all, that we've never seen him in the flesh? How could that be? He tells us. There's no, yeah, there's no secret here. He's telling us how it's better. And it's wonderful. I hope it lifts your heart. I hope it encourages you today. I trust that it will. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, there's a couple other things here involved in his going away. We know what that is. What's involved in Jesus going away? Well, first of all, to go away, he first had to what? He had to come. And Jesus came. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a gift, the gift from the Father, from heaven to mankind. He came from heaven. To go away, he had to come. He came. He came as the son of God, the son of the living God. And as he lived on earth, he was sinless in his life. He never sinned. Never. Never in thought did he sin. Never in word did he sin. Never in deed did he sin. And then when you think about all the hostility that was piled on him, how in the world did he not sin? Well, he didn't sin because he's the son of God. He's the exact perfect representation of righteousness in the earth. And we we give him praise and we're awestruck by that. So Jesus is talking about his leaving. He first had to come. He's born of a virgin. He grew up. He was sinless. And then when the time came... He did what? He offered his own life in your place. You and I deserve the death that he died. You and I deserve the judgment that he endured. You and I deserved all the hostility, but he took it for us. He absorbed the wrath of the father when he was on that cross for you and me. He took the cup and he drank the dregs for you and me. That's what he did. And not only did he, did he die for us, a most agonizing and gruesome death, but he was taken down from that cross and he was placed in a borrowed tomb. He was buried. And then on the third day, there was an earthquake. And the stone was rolled away and the seal, that Roman seal was broken. And the Bible says the soldiers that were there shook with fear and the angels attended. There was one seated on the stone. One account says there was an angel at the head place where he had laid, but he was not there anymore. No, who are you looking for? When the disciples came, when the women came, they were the first there to the tomb. Who are you looking for? Well, the Lord. Well, He's not here, for He is risen, just as He said. Jesus Christ. This is all involved in what? Why are we going into this? It's all involved in His going away. Had He not gone away, there would be no forgiveness of sin. If there is no If there's no manger, if there's no cross, if there's no tomb, there's no forgiveness of sin. But not only did he die and rise, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He was exalted in glory. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that is so, that's exciting. That is all bound up in his going away. Aren't you glad Jesus went away? I'm sure those disciples could see things a little differently once he had gone away. And I'm sure they were excited that Christ had indeed gone away because it meant their salvation. And it means your salvation. And not only did did he go away, but we know that since he went away, one day he's coming again. The Bible says over there in Revelation that one day, this one, I think John says, I saw heaven open. There it is. And he says, I saw a white horse. And him who sat upon it, his name is faithful and true. And he, he comes to judge. And the Bible says that his hair is like wool. The Bible says that his Eyes are a flame of fire. The Bible says that there are re- many diadems around his head. The Bible says that he will come and he will judge the nations. He will judge the unbelieving world. He will gather the elect, for sure, those who are saved, those who have had their sins forgiven, Through faith in him. You've put your faith in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. He's coming back for you. The Bible says that he'll come on that white horse. It says his robe is dipped in blood and on his thigh is written. On his thigh is written. On his thigh is written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he comes back to wage war and judge the unbelieving nations. What's that mean? It means he'll he'll smash the teeth of the wicked. Jesus isn't going to come back and try to take an opinion poll and see what everybody thinks. He's coming back to set things right for eternity. And we give him praise for that. Aren't you glad he went away? I'm glad he went away. I'm rejoicing that he went away. But that's not all the news. Look, he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, and he did indeed go, he says, I will send him to you. My, my, my. You know, when Jesus was on earth, if he was, listen, if he was in Cana of Galilee, he's in Cana of Galilee. He wasn't 14 places at once. He wasn't everywhere at once. But when the helper comes, Jesus is going to be represented all over the world by those who love him, by those who trust him. He says, I'll send the helper. And the helper indwells the believer. Therefore, wherever that believer is, Jesus Christ is represented. And I have it on on good faith today that he's well represented all over the world wherever Christians are. Those who have received Christ, those have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. He says it is to your advantage or to your good. This is good for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, For more on that, read Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the day that the church was birthed there in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was received. And then from that time, all who confess Jesus, all who believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. The Holy Spirit indwells that believer. Where would we be without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? So he says, if I, go, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes. So he not only says he's going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's not, gonna, he's not only going to send the Holy Spirit as he promised here. He tells us the work of the Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? That's a good question. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, Jesus breaks it down for us really nicely here in verse 8. And there's a surprise here. There's a, there's a surprise. I mean, get ready for it. And he, when he comes, not if he comes. It's not a if, not a Maybe. Might be when, when he comes, he will do what? He will convict. And by the way, you may have a different translation, maybe a different word. Convict or convince is the best word right there for what he's talking about. I think think the King James says reprove. Reprove can be like a rebuke. That's really not what he's saying. The word is convict. And we see the Holy Spirit here as what? This is interesting. He's a prosecuting attorney. This is legal. Convict. He's going to convict. This is serious. He'll convict the world. That's interesting because this is the, I think this is the only place where we have the Holy Spirit affecting the world. Most of the time, we think of the Holy Spirit in a Christian. We just talked about it. the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, but the ministry here that Jesus is talking about is to the world. What's the world? The world is unbelieving people. That's what the world is. I mean, Jesus said back in John three sixteen, "For God so loved what the world." The world is darkness. The world is spiritual ignorance. When he comes, he'll do what? He'll convict the world concerning sin. That's important. And righteousness. That's really important. And judgment. So there's three things that the Holy Spirit wants to make clear to unbelievers. Yep. And those three things are sin and righteousness, and judgment. And we say, well, what do you mean by that, Jesus? Don't look now, but he tells us. I mean, this is just, I just love Jesus and the way he teaches and the the gravity of his words. Remember, he's addressing sorrowful disciples and he wants them to perk up. Don't be so sad. Help is on the way to them. And help is here for us while we are on this planet. Now, concerning sin, this is verse 9. This is really important. Concerning sin, because they, they there, is the people of the world. The people in darkness. The people who don't understand. Because they do not believe in me. So there's number one. The Holy Spirit is going to make clear to unbelievers, those of the world, their personal guilt having sinned. They're guilty of sin. And the Holy Spirit is going to convince them of that. Have you ever tried to persuade somebody of something and just, you just couldn't do it? Well, it's, you can magnify that in the spiritual realm. Trying to persuade somebody of a spiritual truth and they, they just don't, I mean, it makes sense to you. It makes sense from the Bible, but they don't show any inclination toward understanding what you're trying to say. That's because this is a spiritual work. It's not about just our words. God uses our words, He uses His word, but it takes the Holy Spirit to convince someone of their personal guilt regarding sin. I mean, I think back to when you received Jesus. Think back of when you were under conviction. That's what we call it. Are you under conviction? Oh, conviction of what? That I am a sinner. That's, that's the conviction. And once the Holy Spirit makes that clear, listen, it's like being in a straitjacket. It's the most unpleasant thing to know. You're guilty before God almighty of sin. You've sinned against him and when the holy spirit makes that real it smarts it is it's it is hard i don't i don't know that i went a day in high school not under that conviction and i was just unwilling to come to him and confess and receive his forgiveness and go on with him it's different for different people But that conviction of sin is a big deal and it comes ultimately from the word of God, but through the Holy Spirit impressing that on your heart. That's what he does. And and then we get to this, because they do not believe in me. So the, the sin, the, the basic sin that we're all guilty of is unbelief. And think about it, unbelief is a sin of not doing something. But the sin of unbelief, which is a sin of not doing something, not doing what? Not believing in Jesus leads to sins that we commit. It's all sin, but the base sin is the sin of unbelief. The sin of rejecting Jesus. The sin of spiritual ignorance and rejection of Christ. And he says, it's really important. Jesus is given the teaching concerning sin because they, the people in the world, do not believe in me. And he goes on concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. What's that mean? Okay. Where are you gonna look for righteousness in this earth? Well, I've, you know, I mean, people look different places, but there's only one who ever walked this earth who was righteous and that's Jesus, right? No, it wasn't your old football coach. It wasn't your home ec teacher. No, they were nice, they were helpful. No, but there's only one righteous, and that's Jesus. Only one. Oh, but I thought we looked to the Vatican. Uh, no. Don't look there. Don't look toward any Human. Now, if, if, we, if we demonstrate righteousness, it's a flash in the pan. It's here and gone. No, there was only one who ever walked this planet who was righteous, and that's Jesus. And here's the problem. He's not here. So where's your example? Where do I look? You can't see him. But what happens? The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness what did Jesus say? He tells us why. The reason we just talked about. Because he says, I go to the Father and you no longer see me. The Holy Spirit convinces you that Jesus was righteous, you and I not ever having laid eyes on Jesus. I mean, I just stood here and I think I, I used a little inflection in my voice To say, he's the only one that ever walked the planet who is righteous. How could I say that? Well, I think the Holy Spirit has impressed that upon me. He has convicted me that Jesus was the only righteous one that ever lived. My parents loved me, but they weren't righteous. Jesus is the only righteous one who ever walked the planet. And the Holy Spirit will let you know that. It needs to let you know that. You need to receive that. He's righteous. And then finally, and we're we're just about there. There's a lot here. There's more to say. I think down here somewhere, Jesus says, I have more things right there in verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Well, I'd like to get started on that one. I mean, the preacher would have a field day with that verse. Well, we're not covering it today, but it's coming. All right, well, let's, let's go here. Look at this. And then the third thing. So for the Holy Spirit to be convicting someone of sin and righteousness, those things must be pretty important for you and I to be convicted of. We must know them in our knower. Not speculation about sin, not speculation about righteousness, but we know in our heart of hearts, at the core of our being, at the gut level, that sin is the sin of unbelief, and I am guilty of that, and that righteousness is something that can only be attributed to Jesus Christ. He is the only one who was ever righteous, and all of our righteousness collectively is what? As of filthy rags before God. And then there's this third thing, verse 11. I know I said that a minute ago. We're going to get there. And concerning judgment. Concerning judgment. Well, I look around this world and the and it looks like it looks like the the it looks like. It looks like we're losing. Can I say that? It looks like, from a human perspective, we're losing. Looks like it. But we're not. We're not. Well, how do you know we're not? Because I read the Bible right here. Concerning judgment... Because the ruler of this world will be judged. Nope. That's not what it says. That's why you have a Bible. You need need to look at that. It says in concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, Jesus uses the past tense, but we know that the rule and it's because he's looking toward the cross and the cross is as good as done. Jesus says the ruler of this world has been judged. The ruler of this world, the devil, the deceiver, the one who is responsible for stirring up all this ignorance in the land and all of this animosity among people toward God. Folks that just don't want to bow the knee to God. They don't want to acknowledge God and it just leads to crazy Behavior and crazy thoughts and crazy words. And you know what Jesus said? He says in concerning judgment, here's what you need need to know about judgment. He says the ruler of this world has been judged. He was judged at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus fulfilled the ancient prophecy from Genesis 3.15 that this seed of the woman... Would what? It says he will crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. Yes, his heel was bruised, but that devil's head was crushed at the cross. The victory that we enjoy today and that we will enjoy in the future and for all eternity is because Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. Has the Holy Spirit convinced you of that? I would love to try to convince you and persuade you, but the Holy Spirit can go further. He goes deeper. He goes longer. And he is ultimately more convincing. Than any human being can be. So we receive today the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One more thing. We said it was the ministry to the world. Listen. The Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. And the word was preached. And the Holy Spirit began doing what Jesus just taught us. That he would do. They heard the gospel and somebody said, what do we do now? And Peter said, you need to repent. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to love him. You need to trust him. You need to put your very life in his arms and he'll see you through. It's a ministry of the world. Listen, that's where you and I were. We were in the world and the Holy Spirit did his work in us through this conviction, when we were in the world. And now we've been translated from darkness to light. We are no longer in and of of the world. We are in the world, not of the world. We are in church. We are children of God because of the blessing of Abraham and the blessing of Jesus. That's who we are. We're his people. So, praise God. Let's stand together. We'll pray and sing. Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for the teaching concerning the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we we thank you that we do not have to be ignorant of this teaching and that we can be recipients, and so many are recipients of, of the work and ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we give you thanks and praise. Now, Lord for that one or for those few who do not know Jesus we pray that they would hear the word and that they would that they would come under conviction concerning sin righteousness and judgment and for the reasons that you spelled out for us and lord that you would save them bring them to a knowledge to the knowledge of Jesus that they would have their sins forgiven And that they would be heaven bound. We pray this. And then Lord for any sorrowful disciples this morning. I pray that this word has encouraged your people. And that we would would go on in the fear of the Lord. And in the word and of the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And all of this would bring glory and honor to you. And we pray these things in Jesus name.